You're currently listening to the free version of Let Me Talk. If you want longer, ad-free episodes, even earlier, head to lmtpod.com to find out how to subscribe. Let me talk! Let me talk! Let me talk! Hello and welcome to Let Me Talk Details. This is a respite from the weekly whirlwind of top flight football. It's a space to break down the big picture topics and get into the details away from the game-by-game analysis. I'm David Mooney. As ever, the Athletic City correspondent Sam Lee is alongside me. Hello. And former City defender Nader Manua. Hello. Sam, what are we talking about today? We talk about Sven Goran Eriksson and his time at City following his recent cancer diagnosis. Plus, whether players think referee decisions even up over the course of the season. Let Me Talk Details is a platform for you to get involved. We'd love to hear from you, so email hello at lmtpod.com if you've got any questions or thoughts about City or football in general. I thought we'd start for this episode uh, with, obviously, we've had the sad news about Sven-Goran Eriksson uh, recently. Nadam, you played under Sven at City. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to get some memories of, of your time there while he was manager. What, what was he like as, uh, as boss? He was great. I think um, he's one of my favourite managers throughout the years that I played. And bearing in mind, I had quite a few managers across 16 years. <laughs> N- not always my fault. But he came at a time when the club needed something. Mm. You know, this was the season after, you know, we decided to sort of protest against scoring goals at home for the second half of the season. <laughs> Solid protest as well. We all stood together. And uh, obviously Stuart Pearce has left. And to go from Stuart Pearce and say that that low at the football club to all of a sudden bringing in a former England manager, one of the England managers, the most charisma I think the world's ever seen. Somebody with like huge experience. And obviously it came because Shinawatra was the owner. Yeah, yeah. And he's bringing in younger players. He's bringing, I think he brought in Alano, didn't he? He brought in um, Giovanni as mm-hmm. well. Was he responsible for Martin Petrov? Petrov, Bianchi. Yeah, um, yeah, Bojanov. Like, he was bringing in some really... Choluka. Choluka, yeah. bringing in some really good players. And he was able to do that because he could sell the club to anyone, but then also he could sell the club to the people that were already there. And to see him come in and say, we want to play really nice football. This is how we're going to do it. And he involved everyone. Was he good? Like, it wasn't just we want to do this. Was he like detailed? And yeah, he was, like a good coach. It was so the his, his assistant coach was Todd Grip, and the other one was Hans Backer. Hans Backer was the one who was more hands on, but they were sorry about <laughs> Hans and Hans. They were trying to show us how they wanted us to play this nice style of football with a sort of younger group. And it was exciting football, playing with a 10. You know, think about everything we've been through. And now, in fact, we had two turns. You had Alano and Giovanni. Like, how does that make mm. sense? But what I thought was really good with was he had a sort of feel for whoever he encountered, whether that was people in the kit room, boot room, people at the stadium or players on the pitch. Because we had such a big squad at that time for a little bit that when we do like 11 v 11, there were people who had to stand on the side. Mm. But you would always rotate those people in to any 11 v 11. And the 11 v 11s weren't set up whereby this is the starting team on a Monday and everyone else is just like cannon fodder. He made everyone feel like they were part of it. So everyone was involved. Everyone was involved. And this seems like a really simple and obvious thing to do, but there are very few managers that actually do it because they have their priorities. 
and everyone else is like well, well they, they, they pick they, the 11 yeah. for the next weekend on a Monday and yeah exactly it, so yeah. they've got a game they've got a game to win so. worst case scenario with that you end up being in that second 11 and you represent the team that's supposed to be playing against them on the weekend like this week we are Stoke we are the, the flipping losers of the squad and next the week after we will be Blackburn or something mm-hmm. you know it's ridiculous but he was never that and he would always try and get us to do stuff before training gets to do stuff after training and he was the one who brought in the monthly competition in the seven asides do you remember me talking about this? No. What's this? This is, I, I think I've said it before, but I'll say it again. One of the most fun times I had at the club was that at the start of every month, I think you'd pay like five, 10 pounds into a kitty. And then they'd be running five asides or seven asides throughout, throughout the month with different teams and stuff. But they'd always track your individual performance within it. So all these games, it'd be for points, a ranking system, first, second, third, fourth. And you'd get however many points you get your team. Like you might win the day. And they say those nine points go towards you. And at the end of the month, they'd show on the list where you were ranked. The top five all got paid out, I think it was. Mm. Out of the top three or top five. And then the ones who were down at the bottom, you know, you had, to, you had to try and explain yourself as such. And what was really good about it was then you start to realize who was actually really good in training and who wasn't. But as well as that, because the teams would always be mixed up, the people who'd win at the top, they'd win at the top because if they had the best team, they'd always win. But if they had the worst team, quote unquote, They'd find a way to gain extra points and they still perform well exactly so instead of finishing on zero finishing on two points might actually be massive but he brought that in so he made training a lot of fun and when he said when he would tell you give you feedback about you as a player like he'd say something which would make you believe in yourself because if Sven's saying you're really good at this I think I think you can be this I think you can be that he's saying it because he means it and he trusts you to sort of listen to him to try and help you get there. And that care and attention from someone who'd been, you know, at the top of like football for so many years that he had been, it was amazing to be around. And also, obviously, the season didn't end well with injuries and then that result against Middlesbrough, which I was reminded of when I was at Borough midweek, where he's got the result like literally <laughs> painted on their wall going down the tunnel. But there aren't many managers in City's Premier League history who could lose a game that badly but still be sort of held. Don't have the fans. Don't yeah. have the fans on board to be thought of as being someone who was great. And that's because he is a great person. He was a great person to play for, a great person to be around. And he brought a lot of good vibes to the football club at a point where they definitely needed it. Yeah. Then when you think back to to that season and um, kind of your... I mean, you scored on his first game um, away at West Ham. I didn't, actually. I got an assist. Oh, you got the assist. Got Sorry, the assist, you yeah. did. Yeah, no, it's yeah. fine. Don't worry, don't worry. It's fine. Uh, listen, I didn't, you, scored I didn't, against, you scored against Spurs in that season. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't score enough goals for, uh, for people to be able to remember <laughs> all of them, to be honest. But um, yeah, it's interesting that because I got the assist, but I came off the bench. Troluca had come literally um, a week. That week, he just signed. That week mm. before the season was about to start. And here was a guy who can play right back and centre back. He's just been bought for whatever much, and he's like basically the same age as me. I was like, ah, okay, we we could be in trouble here. A challenge, yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it's not always a challenge. It's just <laughs> it's just a situation. But um, yeah, I ended up coming in that game. But I remember then seeing that first goal where Alano basically looks like a shooting, but crosses it into Bianchi at the back post. I was like, I've never, no, I've not seen this before. This is this is all right. This is all right. And the team was the team was changing, the belief was changing. And to go away from home and to get a result that big to start things off, it was uh, it was amazing, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He also just to put this into put this as a point of emphasis. So the season before I'd played and I was uh, supposed to be getting a new deal. And I'm pretty sure what happened was 
they were pressing, pressing, pressing for me to sign. I signed on like a Tuesday. And then by Wednesday, Thursday, a takeover had happened, mm. which had more money available. I was like, ah, mm. well, never mind. I guess I'm back to the regime. <laughs> but such is life. Such is life, eh? Yeah. What was he like in the dressing room? Because, you, I mean, you, you hear of managers who are ranters and ravers who mm. shout and ball, and I just cannot imagine that Sven could do that. No, he could do if he wanted to, but very rarely would he do that because he knew that most people had the good intent to be able to try and mm. stick to whatever plan it was that he wanted or try and give the best version of themselves. So he wasn't really a rant and raver. If he was upset, just like you knew that he'd messed up mm. and you kind of felt bad. You, you'll do well to find many people, if any, that speak ill of him. Like he carried himself in such a way whereby he, you knew he wanted the best for you, whether, as I say, you're starting, you're on the bench, you're outside the squad, you're injured. Like he felt like he cared. And I'm pretty sure he did because it would take a lot of acting to be able to care about that many people. If he didn't, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? But he was good and he was also, again, I, I was so lucky. I ended up playing or being coached by three former England managers. Um you'll likely not be able to remember the third if, if I tell you the first one was Kevin Keegan. But he was criticized when he was England manager and so on because he said he wanted passion on the sideline, blah, 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 all this stuff. But it was refreshing to have him on the sideline because he sat down because he knew that the players out there knew what their jobs were supposed to be and he didn't want to micromanage all the little things. And if he was to take action, he would take action at halftime or he might get his assistant to go up and say something to someone to make a tweak in the game. But it, trust me, sometimes when you see someone on the sideline panicking, do you know what it makes you do on the, fi on the field? You panic, don't you? You're like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like managers shouting, hey, 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 hey. And then give it like the hands with like, okay, just do this and then do that. And you're like, mm, we're struggling. Yeah, you know, like, okay, okay, boss. Don't know what that means, oh, yeah, but yeah, fine. Crack, mm, I'll, I'll, mm. I'll, I'll give it a go. Just like, I, I think, again, I think I've told you this story. I once got, um, do you know one of those notes for a game? Mm. Buzzing as well, because I got the notes. Because I remember seeing it on TV thinking, that's awesome. I love all that. <laughs> Got given a note, but we only had ten players on it. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, that wasn't that wasn't Spurs. So yeah, good times. Yeah, who's his other England manager? Well, Stuart Pearce was caretaker manager of England. Don't waste my time. <laughs> I, I said, I said, uh, I said, I did add a wrinkle. I said, or oh, coach by as well. Yeah, and again, he gave me a big compliment one coach time. Coach by Steve McLaren. Well, in that case, it's four. Because yeah. he just was the manager. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so it's four. Then. Okay. Steve McLaren as well. Yeah. One more. Do you want? Do you want? Do you want to tell you? I'm glad I contributed something next. I can't think of this. Actual, I can't think. Actual. I can't think of who it is. It was I'm only just gone blank. It was only short term, and it was at QPR. And I want to say short term. English. Short term England. No, uh, no, short term at QPR. QPR. Yeah. Do you want the answer? Yeah. Glenn Hoddle. Glenn Hoddle was at QPR uh, as a coach with, with Harry, Harry Redknapp. Redknapp. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> he was again, obviously. From a national standpoint, people have issues with him and so on. But from a coaching standpoint and the way he saw things, like when he's talking to you, he carried, like some people carry themselves because in a way whereby like they're, they're the, 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 the ah, I can't swear. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're the business. Yeah, you can swear. No, 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 not for me. But they're like, <laughs> my kids might listen. You never know. But like they, they carry don't, themselves don't like. Don't let them do that. I don't know. <laughs> they carry themselves like they're the business without having to do it, if you know what I mean. Like when someone's like, if Pep walked in here now and started talking, you're not, you're not listening yeah, yeah. to Pep in the same way you're listening to me. Impossible, you know what I mean? But he'll say, know. "Well, what do you mean? Don't do yourself down." No, me. no, because you'll be fascinated by everything he has to say. That's why you're here. No, no, no. Trust <laughs> me, it's different. It's different. You, you, some people just Look, you, obviously you know, I'm listening to Pep, but yeah, yeah you know what I mean. Like it feels different because I'd be the same. You know what I mean? Um, so go on then, huddle. 
yeah, Hoddle. So he was a coach and we, it must have been 2014, 15, we're in the Premier League and we played against United and this was United when they had Falcao and Di mm. Maria playing up front, mm. as nuts as that may seem. Man United with Falcao and Di Maria and I played centre-back and it was one of the best games I've ever had in my career. But we lost like 2-1 or something and like Glenn pulled me to the side. He said, that, that really impressed me. The way you got on the ball, the way you defended, I thought that was, that was really, really good. That's fantastic to give credit to yourself. And as yeah. I was driving away from the stadium that day, I thought, imagine how many players he's seen, how many performances he's seen in that time. And he's having taken the time to pull me to the side to mm. say that. I, I promise you I couldn't have been higher because, you know, other managers have seen stuff and gone through stuff and whatever, but the ones who have sat at the top that tell you that something's good, mm. they can only compare you really to things which they've seen which have been like yeah, really yeah, good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, that's... That's and also, like, there's that extra layer with Hoddle where people were always like, he wasn't a good coach because he was amazing. No, nah, and he couldn't get his good. idea. But even if, if that's not if that's not the case, if you're still thinking, well, his his standards are even ridiculously high because mm. he was so good, mm. then yeah, um, I must have done, I must have done super well. Jolien was saying that he was the best coach ever had. I think he had him at Wolves. I think that's right. He Interesting. Said, he said that's the best. Because I, I am interested because I've I've worked with him only obviously like in a TV thing. But it, Ian Wright was there as well, and Ian Wright still calls him gaffer and things like that. Mm. But like listening to other podcasts, you know, you were talking about including everyone in training and stuff mm. on the podcast recently. They were talking about the '98 World Cup, and even maybe beforehand or whatever. But like Rio Ferdinand and Michael Owen, because they were kind of young then. They were drinking and like Glenn Hoddle like sent them to bed and all the other players were like, Fuck, you can't do that. Like you can't treat them like kids and excluding them. And there was a bit of hmm. there was a bit of like, oh, like Glenn Hoddle wasn't like a great manager or whatever. So it's just interesting to know his coaching standpoint, what yeah. Kind of like, vibes. But obviously it depends on each individual player's yeah, point exactly. of view as well. But, but he was good because think about this. This is QPR getting relegated and somehow like Glenn Hoddle's on the on the sideline, giving us stuff in training, asking me to do specific things after training you know what i mean whether it's a passing thing a movement thing because you see like when someone asks you to do something it's because they see potential and i think mm. they want to see it out of you because if they see there's nothing there they're gonna say ah, yeah it's fine just see you tomorrow you know what i mean but, yeah don't worry about yeah, it don't, don't forget worry about it. it yeah we're fine mate we're fine we'll see you, see you again tomorrow i'm interested in the man management angle of, of things as well because you, you said before about sven and, and making sure everyone was was mm -hmm. feeling involved like like what on a on a kind of man management level was he doing to like in 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 and around the squad to make sure that you because there's obviously there's eleven players that play at the weekend so there's there's others that are just that are being left out and from my memory the squad didn't change like game to game that much there wasn't a, kind of a, a huge amount of rotation no um, I'm wondering if that was the year when subs went up from five to seven as well mm. uh, I think that could have been a thing because I remember then after that a bit after when like Mancini came in he was complaining saying there aren't enough subs and whatever. But um, with Sven, as is the case with most managers, it's a case of if they come over to you to start talking to you, what's the conversation? Mm. You know, not everyone can be in a position. Like if you, if I'm, let me show you the opposite of like good man management, in my opinion. So when, uh, sorry to like mention him because you know everyone knows I love him. But with Mancini, there was a point we were doing a warm up, and it was myself and Mike, and we were jogging around the pitch, and we were just having a joke about something, which is like. We're jogging around the pitch, you know. You don't need to stay silent. So we're joking about something. Was he was he fully pissing himself like he does when he's on Sky? Or no, less. No, no, no. We talked like a diet diet Mike at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he's we're just having a joke about something because you know Mike and I we go back years. So at this point, it's like decade or whatever. And then Mancini stops us 
and he says, no, this is serious. You're here to work. You shouldn't be laughing in the warm up. And this is like step one of the warm up where you're literally oh, no, just you're jogging. Like, oh, couldn't be That's what I mean. I'm thinking this guy is a true villain. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he said, he said this, but then I then joined the group, start jogging. He pulled Micah to the side again to continue talking to him. And all I'm thinking is, well, he's basically saying to him, this guy's poison. Don't go anywhere near him. Because why else would he separate the two of us at that point? Mm. If we both need to learn the same lesson, why is he getting extracurricular stuff afterwards? <laughs> Did you ever, when you were at school and uh, you were sat next to one of your mates and the teacher went, you, t you two, you need to go and sit in different places. <laughs> it's exactly that in a, on a exactly. football squad. <laughs> exactly, but like, I'm, I got the lesson, okay, fine. I'll, I'll be miserable for this warm-up. I'll go over that way. But then he's still just carrying on chatting away with Micah. Like, that's, that's extra. That's like he would do with like Mario or something. You know, that's extra. So it's great for Micah. He got that bit of attention but for me i'm thinking i am literally like pointless in this space because he doesn't care and maybe he was more upset because he saw michael laughing with me <laughs> as opposed to just laughing in general which is weird considering like all we're doing is just jogging around the field but yeah the man management side of things um well it, like, can i bring it did, did did you see that video last week of the city players training where they're playing like hot potato and stuff and, like Guardian yeah, was right in the middle of it like remember izzy was saying about De Bruyne, like before Christmas, she was saying like you've got to keep the players like interested, like yeah. not not bored. And it, it's funny because in, in terms of man management and stuff, because when you were mentioning about what conversations you have in it and huddle, I'm thinking a good coach is probably if he's speaking to you one on one, not necessarily a good coach, but if a coach is speaking to you one on one, it's probably to be constructive mm. and nice. If they're not, if they don't like you at all, they they don't have any conversations with you at all. But then it's like so Guardiola. He's not famously like big on man management or being close. And I'm not sure there's like a massive amount of feeling where the players are like, oh, I'll go and have a chat with Pep or whatever, because there is that kind of healthy distance. But it's interesting because slowly working my way through this Marty Perrinal book, midway towards the end of the first season, Marty Perrinal and Pep are having a having dinner and they're talking about chess. No, they talk they they, they talk about chess a lot, but they're talking about um, like orchestras and stuff and composers and there's two and they were like one of them would like not speak to their like their uh, musicians. musicians at all because it was like no they need to focus on that and then but another one was like really close with them and they were both considered great but for completely different reasons so Pep was like what so this guy like built a wall and was completely separate and the other guy built a bridge and he was close to them and he was like yeah he goes oh okay and then he like it was in the book. It's like what well, he realized he needed to like build that bridge and be closer to the players, which is interesting because, like I say, slowly working my way through this book, I don't think he's done that over the years. Mm. I don't think it's been not been a bad thing, clearly, but I don't think he's always been that close. I think the general feedback is, you know, Pep says what he says, and the respect is there to do it. Yeah. But then you see on the training pitch the element of keeping it fun, mm. and like he keeps saying that like, they don't have time to do proper training, but. It's, it's like maximizing your time on the pitch, isn't it? Because if you can't do proper tactical stuff, you can't even do much physical stuff. Maybe this that week was different because, you know, going up to the Newcastle game, you had more time. But if you're just bringing in stuff that makes it fun and adds an extra dimension, that's, if you know, if you've only got 15 minutes and you're doing that for five, mm. that must have added massive value. And it's just that element of man management and keeping training fun and yeah. involving everyone. Like, it's, it's that kind of thing you don't mm. really see. Yeah, to get... I do like seeing those behind the scenes things at City because for as much as like, you know, they're one of the best teams in the world and one of the best teams in history, you do see them just messing about a lot, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah. You know. And 
it's not to say that the manager definitely leads it, but he green lights it. Mm. And then you well, he knows how important it is. Like, exactly. So and you'll see him stuff. being in and around it in the middle. And it's not to say that everyone will like him. But if something's funny, it's funny. When you know when a manager isn't liked, something funny will happen and nobody will laugh. Mm. You know, it's like a sort of like hard edge to it. Like everyone, you guys here and everyone listening, you know, damn well. Yet your enemy could say the best joke that's ever been said and you will not laugh at it. You just move on there, fine, whatever. But then you'll probably say it to someone else afterwards. <laughs> like that's the, uh, we've, we've all been there. And that's what some managers, that's the energy mm. some managers give you. Sven was, go back to Sven, Sven was never that. Sven was proper. And, like he won't talk to you all the time, pally pally, because there are a lot of people that he needs to be, be able to get around. But he needs to be able to be comfortable enough, comfortable enough rather to come to you and not and know that you're not sworn enemies and you can't say anything to yeah. him. You know what I mean? And that's the the link and the the ability that he had because of his personality. Yeah. So just just finally then on that that season, the second half of it was was that down to injuries. Yeah, I think as we're seeing this season stuff, injuries can really affect performances as such, especially when you look back to then and the squads weren't exactly twenty five deep at mm-hmm. that point. There was a point where I seem to I seem to remember one game where I think Richard Dunn was the only fit centre back and yeah. he went off after about twenty minutes and the, the back four was just four fullbacks. No, I can add to that. I remember one game, I think this was a loss at home. I wasn't involved. Alana, Alana played, played right, right back, back, yeah. Played right back and it was like, Oh, apparently he did it before when he was younger or this, that and the other. <laughs> the old oh he did that in Brazil. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. But but even if he did It's like the Nunes thing. Oh Nunes yeah. played right back, yeah. can he? It's like, yeah, but but it's Alana. I think it was he's right footed. He, he he's available. He's, he's somewhat, somewhat yeah. defensive. It's, right a, it's a shame, but what Sven will have, and which makes that season iconic and for me, the seasons before don't really count to the same level in my mind, is just because he did the double over United. Yeah. You know, that's when I think Sven, I think about winning at home, like second game of the season, Giovanni goal. I remember winning at Old Trafford. First, first time in like 36 years for City. That like, I'm 37. I know. That, that, <laughs> though every single one of those years makes perfect sense now. Like that, when, that's what Sven did. When United scored, even though it was the 93rd oh, minute, with, not three, done, with, with three minutes added mm-hmm. on, we were like, oh, for God's sake. Yes, abs- absolutely was, yes, absolutely was. And that's one of the, as I look back at my City time, there were lots of moments and so on, but that's such a big highlight because mm-hmm. it felt so surreal. To be on the field when the final whistle goals and you've beaten United in a game we shouldn't have won because we were out of form in a game which we shouldn't have won because it was uh, to commemorate the Munich disaster. Like, we're not supposed to be doing this. But we're doing it in mad kits, just on mm. the pitch. Like, what has just happened? Oh yeah, there? of course. It was the um, yes. it was the old the sponsorless like kits. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. 50. It's fifty years. It was fifty years, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, since yeah. Uh, since the accident. So, yeah, it was. It's obviously it's sad to remember how it started, but like a, an unreal day. Like I'm playing the games. Like here's Ronaldo. Here's Nani. Here's this guy. Here's that guy. And here's a two-one win. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember your feeling when Benjani scored? The like to go two-nil up. The uh, sorry to everyone that's heard me repeat this story before, but the Benjani one's interesting, but the Darius Osar one's bigger mm. because me, Stephen Allen, and so on, we knew like we were close with Darius, and Darius had never lost a game which he'd scored in. So when he scored in the first half, so like, hmm, this, is, this is interesting. And sitting in at half time in the game it means nothing, it's superstition. I'm surprised that you that would even cross your mind. No, but I just thought it's funny because it's like, oh. Because I, I don't think, you, you think I stepped on the field knowing we'd won? Absolutely <laughs> not at Old Trafford. But it's just, it's funny because we knew that record existed. 
and the record existed once the game was over, mm. which is hilarious because it happened at Old Trafford. And it was like, like a look around to Stevie, Stevie looking at Darius like, oh, is, this, is this it? Is this, is this the thing? And yeah, it turned out to be. He did try his best to miss that though, didn't he? Did, did it take three times to put it Listen, in in the end? I've not but... scored enough goals to critique people's <laughs> goal scoring. Let's just remember that. Can I just add, went to the Wolves game earlier this season and Darius Vassell was coming in behind to like sign in to do City TV stuff or whatever. Gave his name, Vassell. What? He said Vassal. Did he? Yeah, have, yeah. have we been saying it wrong all these years? I guess so. Hmm. Did you, I was going to mention that, but there was a plenty to talk about. Is that like on that um, Wolf podcast? To, oh, yeah. To yeah. not go into those minute details. Uh, you, you well, have, did, he, did he say Darius or Darius? I can't remember. I can't remember. I think it's Darius, Darius I think. Have you heard the, the Martin Keown one? No. So I was doing, <laughs> I was doing something with him, um, football folks or whatever. And he said when he first started his career, his name was actually Keowen. Yeah. But the um, commentator or whatever, an experienced one, pulled into the side and said, listen, this Keowen's not going to work. I'm going to call you Keown. Yeah. And Martin just like ate it and said, okay. So from then, he's been known as Martin Keown. I feel like that changes personality on the spot. <laughs> we'll be back in a few minutes after an ad break. Speak to you shortly. Let Me Talk is sponsored by you, the listeners. The best way to support the podcast is by subscribing via Memberful. You can pay as little as £2 per month, which gives you early access to all our podcasts ad-free, and they're packed with even more content. That gives you even more minutes of us to fill up your week. Subscribing is really easy, and the longer episodes will integrate seamlessly with your podcast app of choice, be it Spotify or Apple. Head over to lmtpod.com for more information on signing up and links to all of our socials. Ryan says, regarding the officiating recently, I think the frustrations are that a lot of 50-50s seem to have gone against City. I don't think anyone blames Simon Hooper, for instance, for not playing the advantage against Spurs. The non-red card on Foden at Luton didn't cost us, but Rodri often getting booked as soon as possible is annoying. How does it feel when 50-50s are going against you? Do you think it all evens out? For a start, I think a lot of people are blaming Simon Hooper. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people. Like everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And again, the Fulham... No, not the Fulham red card. The um, the non red card against Luton. Um, a lot of people were annoyed about that. We talked about it on the show. We did. Yeah. I was like, I don't think we actually talked about this the other day, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Like, just because of that, it just seems like if the referees can slow it down to a point where you can see enough studs on enough a shin, shin or a calf, yeah. then that's the red. I don't. I don't think that's the official wording, but that seems to be point of contact is the official yeah, wording, exactly. isn't but, it? Yeah. But yeah. So, uh, but the and the other thing, not to disagree with every single point that's been made, but <laughs> it's like Rodri's fairly notorious at getting away with yellow cards as well like people say like he's in, he's inherited that Fernandinho mantle mm. Mm. Um, so I'm not really sure where I start with this uh, the, the only the only kind of refereeing thing that jumps out where it does strike me as inconsistent and we've talked about it before is like Edison getting booked in the first half in like big games yeah. but like, time if it's like the Palace goalkeeper they get booked in like the 94th minute or something um, other than that 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 is the one that brings my head clean off the Edison bookings for time wasting. The, the the one that still lives in my hand. They won the, they won the game and it doesn't matter now and they won the title that year. But the one at the Emirates last season booked in the first half for time wasting and the number of times where you see opposition goalkeepers come to City mm. and just stand there. Does he tend to get booked more at home or away? I think it's, it's, ha- away. I think it's happened twice. I think it's one. I think both away. Yeah, but it'll be it'll be the context of. The other, the other away game as well, I can't remember where it would have been, but it would have been a big game. Yeah. Mm. 
I can. That's that. Yellow cards. I think they flow more easily to the to for time wasting mm. to the away side mm. because. But then again, the point we're making is they don't against City because it's almost like. Sorry, I will let you finish. No, like, go on. you know, it's like it's to be expected, isn't it? It's like Palace. Like they're gonna little they're, they're gonna waste they, yeah, time. Yeah. Like that's that's just that's just how you've got to face a team like City, and then City go and do it against Arsenal because they you know they need a bit of time because let's say they're under the cosh because it's Arsenal or Liverpool or whatever, and it's like oh I know what he's up to. So yeah. there is a bit of a difference under there, but yes, like I think you're definitely right. Just go with. I think I think it's the context of like the audience as well because you know when the crowd starts to get really angry, it's very hard for referees and people on the field to try and just like completely ignore it mm. because you create this like false environment like everything's going wrong. Like I was at um, Liverpool versus Fulham the other day, and at nil nil it was kind of quiet. Like there were songs or whatever, but overall it was quiet for what the place is. And then they went one nil down, and then all of a sudden every referee decision was driving them up the wall. Like they were howling. That first half there was more noise being made at ang for anger than there was for just like you know cheering the side on. Mm. And so that can affect people. It was on like the, that, field. the Newcastle game on New Year's Day as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's. This is a this is a thing, and you know it's not to say that like City versus uh, say a lower ranked team isn't going to bring out the biggest atmosphere anyway. But you're like more likely to vent your frustration when your team's not winning, say if they're if they're drawing or if they're losing, and all of a sudden it gets louder, it gets louder, it gets louder. But then in in regards to what he was saying, I like I'm big on perspective, and I know this winds some people up light up the wall genuinely. But have you watched every game in the weekend? Have you decided what you think is fair and what is not fair and done it? And then now added City's perspective into it and mm -hmm. talked about their players. Chances are it's probably not. So people do exist in their own bubbles and they can feel like everything's against us. But every fan base thinks everything's against them. It's funny because that Luton game remind, reminded me of this, of like the number of times I go to the Etihad and I watch the, the game play out as, you know, as a fan in the stand. And I sit there and I think, you know, most of the decisions have been right, but I think some of them, some of the 50-50s feel like they've gone against us. Every single one of those Luton fans was convinced yeah, that yeah, every yeah. single one of those yeah, decisions yeah, yeah, would, yeah. had gone against them. Yeah. When you sit back and you watch it on TV and you, you, you get the benefit of seeing it again and you get the benefit of mm. you know seeing it in the wider context, you go, well, that's just the right decision. Uh, I mean, I've been, the amount of games I've been to over the years, how, how long have I been to it? Like eight or nine years. And you go to away games and they're just convinced. Like the the first fifty fifty that goes against the home team, it just sets off mm. for the for the rest of the afternoon. Like there was a like a collective head loss at Bournemouth before they got relegated and came back up. Over like two or three seasons, because one of the games was you know when Bournemouth didn't even have a a shot mm. or a corner or anything, so the frustration was just building that like, impotent frustration of like there's nothing like we can do here, and then they just blame the ref. It was like the Luton game as well. Like Luton, they weren't out of the game the whole thing, but like if they couldn't get anywhere. It wasn't like the ref's fault. But then you're so frustrated because your team's not doing anything and then you don't get a 50-50 anyway. And it just builds and builds and builds. But the Bournemouth one, it was mad. It was like the year that, I think it was the year where they went down. They had the guy on the pitch at half time just doing the entertaining or whatever. And he was like, just did like a classic like City, you got no fans joke or something. He was just like, this head loss is like institutional level. <laughs> like they can't, they just can't handle just basic 50-50 decisions. But honestly, it's it's every ground. Yeah. Like, yeah. No. You get the, you get the, they get the ironic cheers when they do get a decision their way, which is just like, again, yeah. that's not even a City thing. You just get that everywhere. And it's like, just look at these decisions and they're yeah. almost always 
it's right or for me it's, the, it's understandable yeah understandable, it's, it's yeah. a tale of it's wrong, it's wrong it's a tale of are you at the stadium or are you watching it from home and mm. if you're watching it from home are you watching it with the sound turned up because if you are like i watched the uh there was the liverpool arsenal game the other day in the fa cup like arsenal were doing well or whatever but you could hear the commentators were getting really passionate because they thought they were doing well they're having the noise from the stadium getting played in and you feel like liverpool are getting pounded yeah but I bet you the players on the field never felt that. I bet they felt like, you know, they got lucky with a couple of moments. But they, they probably didn't feel as bad as it looked from the outside, mm-hmm. you know. And one of my friends, he was at a City game and he was complaining about referee decisions. But I was watching the game on TV and the decisions he was complaining about, they were fine, if you know what I mean. But in the stadium, you only see it once. And something looks, if it's you, the idea of 50-50 from the stadium, might, like a 50-50 might be the exact opposite. You know, it might be something clearly one way or the other, but you can't see it. And once it's happened, like you could have looked at your phone, looked up, oh, there's yeah. another decision. But now everyone in the arena is complaining. Everyone's getting angry about it. Even for like the away fans, it might be a few thousand of them. But they're all the diehards who probably have a seed of doubt in their mind that there's conspiracy against their club anyway. Does it matter if you're on the pitch or in the stands? Like like on the pitch, how how much better is the view of a, of an incident on the pitch than think, it is? I think it's slightly better, but the people who will know will be the people who are involved in the tackles themselves, mm. who are who are also regularly wrong when it comes down to decisions. Because you kicking a ball and you kicking someone's foot, as mad as it may be, in a tackle feels the same way because you've probably like had your eyes closed as such when you're actually making the impact itself. And I think when you know and you can sort of know definitively that you've made a good tackle or something, and it's almost like someone giving a handball against you when it's not hit your hand, mm. that's when you start to get like riled up about stuff. But I think in a game, it's more so like the flow of certain decisions because the big decisions will always matter. But when a referee seems to be given a few against you for things which, are, which they didn't need to, but you're say you're away from home and all the crowd are getting onto the ref, like there was a time for me personally where we were playing against the hole for QPR and the ball went down the channel in the air and I've come over the top and headed it. But the guy that was trying to head it from me, he never jumped. He just he leaned forward and let you come over the top. Of yeah, it. yeah, and then he fell to the floor. And, I was, and the ref gave a free kick and there was like 20,000 in the stadium. They were fuming because this strike was like a little guy. They were fuming, yeah, howling. And for the rest of... So after that happens early in the first half, then every time I touch the ball... I'm getting booze every time I make a tackle. They're like, he's booked him. Should have booked him before. Guess who got sent off in the game? <laughs> Tell me who got sent off in the game. Guessing it wasn't the little forward that uh, you jumped over the top of. It was not the little forward who, got, who did that. So you can sort of create like villains and stuff within any particular mode. And referees, obviously, they do the best job that they can. But like as human beings, you'll be affected by the noise. That's why, like, you know, if I could, I'd turn. Well, to be fair, I'd say I turn the sound off on games on TV, but it's hard because I know that some of the people on TV are also listening to the crowd to get a feel for how the game's going. Mm. Like, you know yourself, I think there was a person... Pand- pandemic football was... That That was the, the 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 reason I couldn't watch it with the fake crowd noise was because it didn't mimic the, the feeling of what the game yeah. was at the time. Because the game itself, when you really look at it, given the fact that you play for an hour and a half minimum and like very little actually happens yeah. for the duration... You still think you've got the highs and the lows. Like a cross comes in, it gets cleared. Come on, cross comes in, goes out for a corner. Come on, oh, it's the second corner. Come on, but realistically, like nothing's happening. Mm. Ball's about to get cleared. You know what I mean? Like you've got to you celebrate territory in football, and I think some people can get drawn in by that. But to go back to the original original thing, 
Because everyone believes that they're unlucky. When good luck happens to them, they'll always feel they deserve it. That's just the right thing. Yeah. It's like the traffic light thing. You'll, you'll be pissed off at every red traffic light. Oh, I'm always getting stuck here. It's because when you go through a green one... You don't remember you, it. You don't, don't remember do it. Do not remember oh, it. Oh, it's like, well, I should be because this is the bigger road, so of course it should be green. Yeah, and that's that's a shame, but then this is the, the way that football works and life works in general. So I wouldn't necessarily say stuff balances itself out, but I think it's a distinct... Ask yourself, do you know the perspective of the 19 other teams in the division? If the answer is no, then maybe... You're not well, so lucky well that's the thing. The general view is that you never get any VAR decisions against them, like any major ones. From the outside? Yeah, from the outside, yeah. but obviously this question is more like... But it's, those, those mo- the, yeah, the 50-50 yeah, But then yeah. I don't think there's any main. I don't think there's any one main way that the referee has worked with or against City this season. I just think in individual matches, it has been. What I, I mean, there has been games earlier in the season where I'm thinking that, that ref was terrible, which I very rarely think. But, but likely, it is the other team thought the same thing as well. Yeah, I know, but like, but in the vast majority of games, you know, people will come away pissed off with the ref, and we won't even mention it because it's like yeah. I, I don't. There's I genuinely no, don't I, think. Well, I, I, don't I, I feel like I can sit yeah. there in the stadium. And you know when I mentioned like Bournemouth, the first 50-50 goes against them, then it builds from there. I, I can see that at the Etihad as well. And mm. I go, oh, here we go. City fans will be pissed off about the ref today. Mm. But I'm sitting there thinking exactly the same thing when the City fans are getting pissed off as I do when I'm at like Molyneux or whatever. Yeah. Just, but there was one earlier in the season where I remember thinking this was bad, but maybe the other team were thinking that too. But Do you ever get the sense for me. as a player on the pitch, and the, you've just reminded me with being at Molyneux, when uh, there was the challenge by uh, Huang, who uh, on a yellow card didn't get a second yellow? Mm. He then went on to score the winning goal. Mm. Do you get? A, do you ever get a sense of a player of well, he he should have gone for that, and well, now he's he's going to affect the game. Oh, look at that, he's affected the game. <laughs> yes and no, because ninety nine percent of the time they won't affect the game to that to so, that extent. To that extent, yeah. whereby they're scoring the winner as such. Mil- Milner in um, yeah. at Anfield, um, yeah, could have could have been sent off a couple of times. Could, oh, could have had it back yeah. against Foden. Yeah, and then um, I think I mean, it affects the game in the sense of wins the throw in that they score. Yeah. Well, that's a, that that's is what, a classic home homer decision, isn't it? Really? Yeah, there's stuff like that that sort of gets me the most when incorrect decisions could end up being key decisions because that's when you get more frustrated. Yeah, like stuff in the middle of the field and stuff doesn't really matter that much. Stuff higher up the field, like if it if it's if the flag offside, it's not offside, whatever that that. But when like someone gives a free kick against you or an incorrect decision in a dangerous area, you know about the consequence. Mm. But that isn't necessarily something that would be levelled at a player. That's more sort of frustration at the referee mm. as such. And I think if a referee decides not to send someone off, you know, you hope that somewhere across, you know, in your career or in that moment, you can also receive... The same favourable sort of... Yeah. The benefit of the doubt. Yeah, if a referee is going to be lenient, you hope that they'll be lenient for everyone. Mm. And then if they decide to go the other way, then that's more frustrating as well because you don't want to feel like you're in a double standard. Like if a ref's bad, sometimes if they're just bad for both teams, like fine, you know what I mean? But if it feels like he's been a bit soft there with this, but it's been hard. I mean, like I used to find that when I first was playing in the early 2000s with people talking to referees, like some of the old guard after a while, like Rooney's, Gerrard's, whoever, the stuff they'd be saying to referees was bonkers. Bonkers. What a slight abuse. Yeah, yeah bonkers. Completely getting not away just like it. I'll see you at mine on no. Monday night. No, 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 no. <laughs> no yeah, that's a good shout, but no, like they'd be you effing this, you're a disgrace, you're this, you're that, all types of that. You know, a descent card for anyone else would fly out of his pocket almost as if he's like, oh, Well, you know, I've got to do this now, I've got to get this out of the way early doors. Like they're trying to set the tone with it. No, but no, but that's the, you can't even you can say, Well, why, why is this okay with him? He says, Just have this yellow card and go away. It's like, 
that David Trigger. Ellery thing, isn't it? You remember the um, yeah, his uh, name jumped in, into my head when you said that. But I can't it was it, it was I can't remember who it was, but it was uh, someone called him you effing cheat, and he said, "Don't use that language around me. I'm many things, but I'm not a cheat." Mm. And it's like like of all the things that like the language that you're picking up on. I know, and in regards to that, I know some people hate these modern day refs because they're not as like personable with the players and stuff. But in some ways, I'd rather have a, a blanket style of like refereeing whereby you don't engage with them as opposed to one whereby you can engage engage depending on who you are. Because when someone sees that, and like, say we're playing against Rooney or playing against this, this guy, and it feels I'll like, and the ref's okay with them, but I've just gotten a yellow card for like nothing. That's when you start thinking, well, this is biased. And when you're on the field thinking it's biased against you, like, it's, it's not a good time. Mm. How would you prefer to be addressed by a ref? Like just normal person, first name? Or do you think that's, or could that be overly familiar? So but then if they call me a surname, you think, what the fuck? And then a number would be weird. You know, it's it's funny because in American culture, everything's led by numbers. So, like, yeah, you know, see, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd that because I think I'd, that's just how it is. I'd have felt fine with like, like if number four come here. Yeah, uh, like, exactly. I think that's all right. Yeah, but it's just when you know I'm four and that's Wayne. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, come on, what are we what are we doing? Yeah, but again, the referee to I'm sure we'll address this at some point while I'm sitting down here today. But the job of a referee is a tough job. I understand that. The job of a player on the field, I'd argue, is tougher because you're going up against 11 other people as well. You're not just having to make a decision based on what you see. You're having to do it as well. So it means that you get very, very frustrated on the field and you don't want to feel like things are going against you. But then also I appreciate that referees are in a spot whereby like making... They've got, they've got 22 against them. They don't. <laughs> they can stop, they could, literally, a ref could stop a game. You know what I mean? But yeah, I can't say to someone to winger, stop running at me because this isn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, playing in a crowd, when a crowd starts baying for blood, and it always tends to happen when the team's not doing as well as they would like. Mm. Anytime a team's winning, the referee doesn't become that much of a big conversation. But it's when it's not going well that it starts to try and look for reasons for the team to not be doing well. And that's when you look at villain players and look at referees. And how often would you talk about those two if your team's winning 4 5 and 0 comfortably? I think it's the same. If a team's struggling, it's normally the manager. But if everyone, if the fans like the manager, then that's when they'll start turning heat on players, the owners, or the players. And and, and, it, and it, I think you just get different levels of say which teams you mean. Off. No, I, I think you, you just see it a lot. Um, well, what, it just sounds very united. Though, yeah, so. it, it does. But like, you, you can never really make your mind up because like, did did the players, did the did the fans like the manager? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm genuinely not talking about United here because I, I don't know. But you just see it over time, and you just think. There's anger that needs to be directed somewhere. Do they like this manager? No, okay, well, they'll try and get the manager out. But if they do, then it goes elsewhere. And it's the same thing, like whether it's City or whether it's Wolves or whether it's Bournemouth or whatever, you're angry. Who are you going to be pissed off at? The ref is the easiest target in the world. Never mind like the manager or the board or the players, but the ref is just the easiest target in the world, especially when it's away from home and City away. It's the ref backed up by this team's corrupt because then you start getting that you know because because you know the the wolves fans have been convinced because they've had some bad decisions earlier in the season the wolves fans were convinced there was like an agenda against them that the premier league were corrupt and then like a big team in city you've got that big club bias that all the kind of not big clubs if you're going to go by that logic feel that there is and then when there's city as well who like what we talked about the other week all the feeling around city it just bundles into this massive like hate spot slight segue here um, you mentioned big club bias and so on and cheating. Um, so my son, he's five. He started to get into football and whatever. 
you saw me after school yesterday and he said, is it true that City cheat? <laughs> I was like, what? Wow, 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 wow. I was like, that's like, when you think about how... We'll, fi- we'll find out in 18 months. So. Well, we, so, we, so we believe... <laughs> Tell you when you're older. <laughs> we, we believe that like um, the world is changing. It's changing because people have got more access to this, that and the other and so on and so forth. But they're still very... Kids, some kids are very much just very much led by their parents. And so like how has a five-year-old gotten into a situation where like he's thinking that City cheat when he doesn't even know what City are as a concept mm. as such? And I thought genuinely thought that was hilarious. And if they were cheating, it's funny because... You know, that's when I was around. <laughs> Listen, what it didn't cheat very well. Let's just say that. <laughs> that's it for this episode of Let Me Talk Details. But Sam, if you are a member, you get even more. What can members hear for this one? Nedum delves into which of his former teammates were least and most likely to go into coaching, and the surprise of Craig Bellamy making the leap. If you'd like longer ad-free versions, even earlier, all the useful links are in the episode description and over on lmtpod.com. If you want to ask us a question or send us a voice note on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, just search for LMT Pod, or you can send us an email, hello at lmtpod.com. All the useful links are in the episode description and over on lmtpod.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.